In this episode of RT Plus, Global Head of Financial Services, Jonathan Herbst, and Council, Matthew Gregory, are joined by special guest, Matthew Conway, who is Director of Strategy and Policy at UK Finance. And together, they will be discussing the Treasury's recent consultation paper on the future regulatory framework review. Now, Matthew Conway's experience at UK Finance and other government departments brings a unique insight into the legislative process. So without further ado, I will hand over to Matthew Gregory, who is leading today's session. All right, thanks very much for that introduction. Um, if I could start by turning to Jonathan for a quick overview of this paper. Uh, it obviously covers quite a number of different areas. We'll try to pick up um, most of those over the course of this podcast. But if you could set the scene for us, I think that's a great place to start. Yes, hi, everybody. Hi, Matt. Um, yeah, I think the first thing to say is actually something that they only touch on briefly, but it's the fundamental point that they are not proposing a radical change to the UK regime. You know, the essential regime we've got to know and love under FISMA remains as it is with FCA and PRA, you know, as, as from 2012-13, and the essential structure. I think that's point one. There are beneath that a number of really significant points to discuss. So firstly, they're going to, and this has been pretty well trailed, um, change the objectives, create secondary objectives in relation to growth, and some of the other aspects in relation to net zero, some other things like that. So that's obviously very important. I think the second area to pick up on is really that the, the realities of Brexit, let's call it, which are that there's this enormous body of retained EU law, and essentially that is going to piece by piece shift from you know, primary, well, sorry, secondary legislation to you know, what was directly applicable as now called secondary legislation into the regulator's purview. And I guess the return on that is the whole set of concerns around regulator accountability. And this is the sort of tension, and, and uh, Matthew Matthew will come on and talk about this, I'm sure, you know, is this tension between uh, regulator power on the one hand and the need for you know, both parliamentary and treasury oversight on the other. And there are some specific proposals on that. I think the most interesting ones, just to very quickly pick up on, and we may have a further discussion on this, is the concept of recommendation letters from the Treasury uh, in relation to PRA and FCA uh, rules and proposals and what that will really look like. I mean, I have to say, I think it's interesting they've sort of taken this across from certainly some of the macro prudential kind of world uh, you know, and monetary policy. Question mark how that looks in terms of the sheer volume of material that PRA and FCA produce. Um, and I think more generally, a, uh, an ability for Treasury to require regulators to review their to review their rules. I think on that first point on the letters, the debate is going to be, you know, whether you you as a regulator will can keep your independence uh, while you will be doing your very best not to end up with one of those letters. So quite how those power dynamics will work. Let's wait and see. So I think those are the things I pick up on. And uh, you know, really back to, to you, Matt, to open the discussion. Yeah, thanks very much, Jonathan. Just before I turn to, to Matthew to sort of position this in terms of the overall legislative process and when we might actually expect a bill on these reforms, just one point on the on the objectives. I mean, for those who've been in practice quite a long time, this almost is the return of international competitiveness, isn't it, in the regulators' objectives. Do, do you think, Jonathan, this is kind of a return to sort of the pre-crisis normal, or actually is this slightly different? I think to a large degree, it is it is a return to the importance of that. 
They've also, I mean, I didn't mention all of the proposals. They've also got a specific um, proposal to actually have reference to free trade agreements as well in there. I mean, look, it's important. I have to say, for those of us who live in the sort of practitioner's world, the significance of the statutory objectives can be overplayed. And there are a lot of issues around supervisory practicality, what goes on in the, the let's call it the normal world, which really make the difference. So uh, all I would say is, yes, it's very important, but it doesn't deal with those concerns that both um, PRA and the dual regulated and FCA solar regulated firms have around the powers of the regulators and how they actually go about it. And the other thing it doesn't do, with, just so while I'm on it, it doesn't deal with uh, the concerns that some people have had around the lack of, uh, let's call it, you know, an investment development agency, the equivalent of what they've got in Ireland, where there's someone bringing yeah. together all of the different bodies to actually create a single entry point into the UK market for those who want to come in. Thanks. Yeah, that, that's really helpful. Uh, and that picks up a point, I suppose, on accountability that, Matthew, you and I might um, touch on in a moment, because obviously UK finance um, worked with a number of associate members to assemble uh, a body of work in connection with the earlier consultation. And one of those areas that we were involved in with you was around regulatory appeals. And, and as Jonathan has alluded to, there are proposals in here around ways in which firms might take um, some comfort from uh, a sort of more developed approach, shall we say, to, to those supervisory engagements, um, which we know are a, a point of concern. But before we get on to those, um, perhaps we could start, Matthew, if you wouldn't mind, by just setting the scene for this particular paper. Obviously, it comes off the back of over a year of, of engagement with the industry, and maybe we could do a bit of a forward look as to the parliamentary timetable and when we might expect to see legislation. Of course, thanks, Matt, and, um, and hello, everyone. So, so let me give the let me give the start point. Let me give the end point, and then, gosh, there's there's so much in the middle that's that's worth thinking about in what is actually quite a tightly focused paper. So. Um, you know, this, this process is producing, if you like, a milking stool for the regulation of the financial services sector. And I say that because we would say there are three legs to it. You know, what, what's, the, what's the context in which regulators work? And that's objectives, it's regulatory principles, it's the fit of the domestic regulatory regime with international arrangements. Uh, Jonathan's already touched on some of those aspects. And I think there... Um, we'd say that the government has got this um, broadly, broadly right. Um, you know, this international competitiveness objective in particular is proving quite controversial. Um, certainly some former regulators have come out against it. But I think we would say that the government's pitched it absolutely right. You know, nobody's going to be trading off consumer protection or competition or financial stability in order to promote international competitiveness. And nobody's going to turn our regulators into... Um, into sort of development agencies for inward investment. But, you know, they have to take account of uh, the competitiveness of the financial services sector and the economy as a whole in, in a post-Brexit world. And by positioning these objectives at a secondary level, which makes them relevant but not overriding, that seems to us to um, perfectly adequately introduce uh, the things that sh they should be taking into account, but, but not in a way that cuts across, you know, those sort of uh, things that nobody wants to um, compromise uh, and go back to the world of light touch regulation. So that's the first leg. The second leg is how the regulators go about what they're doing. Um, and there's, again, some extremely good stuff in here. And, and I just pick out the, um, the additional rigor of cross 
benefit analysis that, that the government proposes the regulators should undertake. Might might want to come to, back to that a bit later. It's it's a bit detailed, but it's but it's very very important. And then there's the third leg, which is you know you've made some decisions within a framework. How are you accountable for it? And I think that's the area where we are disappointed that um, what the government proposes is really just a, a power for the Treasury infrequently to ask regulators to review the operation of a rule in the public interest, um, which doesn't get to the problems that, that you and we uh, explored uh, in, in the report that we published that accompanied our last consultation response that says, you know, judicial review doesn't work because of the supervisory relationship. You need some other form of uh, review mechanism when rules just aren't right, not not when they've already gone spectacularly wrong and the Treasury needs to step in, but, you know, some sort of day to day alternative to JR. So, mm. you know, that stall's not quite balanced. Jump to the end. What will all this end up with? Well, um, you know, the Treasury is all but signaled subject to cabinet agreement that we'll get a financial services bill in the 2022-23 session of Parliament. So that's sort of May next year to May the year after. Um, it's going to be a big bill. It's got to pick this up. It's got to pick up um, implications of the wholesale markets review, the listings review, the Khalifa review, anything the government's reviewing at the moment in financial services that needs primary legislation is going to be fighting for a slot in that bill. So, so I would expect to see legislation entering Parliament summer of next year with a view to the government getting it through by maybe early spring 2023. Thanks, Matthew. It's a really great overview. And I think you know, one of the points that we have been thinking about in connection with the earlier work is around access uh, to those accountability mechanisms. So, you know, perhaps there is a, a further degree of work that might that might emerge over time from Treasury on, on, on the accountability framework. But just, just picking up one of the, the themes of the paper, which is around activity-based regulation, which I know, Matthew, is a subject close to your heart, and, and in particular, the designated activities uh, regime. So, Perhaps you could give us a quick overview of where you think the paper sits in connection with the ambitions that you had really for, for this paper. Sure. So, so the designated activities regime is the one new piece of thinking that's in this consultation. And, um, and we think it's genuinely really, really interesting. Um, so look, it's there to solve a problem, which is there's some retained EU law, which doesn't require you to be authorised to undertake activities, but does require you to uh, follow the rules if you do. Uh, and I think they give derivatives contracts as an example. So when we you know, move that retained law into, into rule books, how do we continue to regulate those activities without suddenly requiring, I don't know, Volkswagen to become authorised by the FCA to enter into derivatives contracts, which, which would make no sense whatsoever. So at its core, this regime is simply a solution to a problem and it simply replicates the current position and it will say, here's a regime and in here are some rules and you don't have to be authorised to do the activities that are covered by the regime. But if you do those activities, you are subject to some rules. Um, that's utterly precedented in regulation. Um, it's how the regulatory framework for electronic communications works. You know, BT does not have a license to operate a telecoms network in the UK. It doesn't need a license. In fact, the government can't require it to have a license. But if it operates a telecoms network, it has to follow the rules that Ofcom lays down. Um, you know, more prosaically, nobody's needed a license to own a dog in England for the last 50 years. But if you do own a dog, there are some things that you're not allowed to let your dog do. So, you know, there's nothing new about the idea. But in financial services, um, it's, it's a departure from regulate the entity and regulate the activity. And that's where we think this thing might have legs. Um, not only does it open up the prospect of new things that need to be regulated coming into the designated activities regime, 
and therefore just regulating the activity and not regulating the entities that undertake them where there's no point in doing so. But over time, we wonder whether there are things for which you need to be individually authorised at the moment, simply because that's the way the FISMA model works, that you could say, again, the entity regulation isn't relevant. All you really need to do is regulate the activity. So maybe over time, things mm. can move from the regulated activities order yeah. into the designated activities regime. It yeah. keeps the standard of regulation, but it takes away some of that bureaucracy associated with unnecessary authorization, where it's the activity that matters and not the yeah. entity. I, yeah, it'd be really fascinating to see how the kind of supervisory arrangement will work for that type of a regime, won't it? And as you say, it, it marks a departure from the accepted practice over time, certainly in the UK anyway. And this is um, the fundamental point. There is no supervisory regime. There's nobody, to, you know, there is no supervision. It's simply, here is a thing. If you do this thing, you follow the rules. If you do not follow the rules, you get involved. And here's what happens. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And so it's a kind of, you know, from, from us as practitioners, from our perspective as practitioners, it's sort of you know, a question as to how the regulators will really deal with the, the sort of the rules and, and the approach to, well, not supervision, but, but potentially enforcement. Um, Absolutely. And, and that's that's the problem that Ofwat and Ofcom and Ofgem and the Civil Aviation Authority face every single day, and they seem to be able to cope with it. A departure from practice, perhaps, for us uh, here in this sector, but as you say, precedence, precedence elsewhere. Look, just before um, we sort of run out of time, I think, for this, because yeah, it's such a, a rich discussion, um, and there are so many different avenues that we could explore, I just want to bring this back, if I can, Jonathan, to sort of impact for firms. So. One of the things that we were discussing was really around the, the, the makeup of the future legal and regulatory regime. So we know from this paper that there are going to be a number of pieces of legislation, some probably secondary pieces of legislation, um, which will amend the scope of the UK regime in order to make sense of onshoring. And that could take several years. Could I get just a, a few words on, on really impact for firms uh, probably over the next one to three years? Yes, thanks, Matt. I think that it's going to grow, is the way I would describe it. So I, I think for some firms, you know, it's all a little bit theoretical at the moment. The message, and this is a general message of the post-Brexit regime, is we sort of thought, and I must confess, I sort of thought that, well, you know, reg change is finished. Um, it's pretty much done, MIFID, EMIR, all the rest of it. No, I think the message of all of this is we've got fresh regulatory thinking going on in the UK both in this context and others. And so one's going to have to keep a very close eye, eye on it. And, and to, to sort of cut to the chase, those firms that are operating internationally are going to have to get used to, you know, considering detailed proposals and lobbying both in Brussels and in London for their UK business. That's the way of the future. Great. Well, I think we're up to time. Thanks, Jonathan, for the insights. Thank you, Matthew Conway, for your contributions as well. I'm going to hand back to Arup now to close this podcast. Thanks very much. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you to all of our speakers, particularly Matthew Conway, our special guest from UK Finance. We hope you enjoyed uh, today's episode and we hope to catch you again soon.